Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for the opportunity to sing about our great God. And thank you for the opportunity now to look at your word. I pray that you be glorified. That you would speak way beyond what I have the ability to say. That you would speak in clarity of voice and heart and mind. And you give us hearts to receive what you have to say. And we might apply it to our lives. And we might be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Question here. How many lazy people do I have in the room today? Wow, lots of hands shot up and shot up quickly. Maybe you don't want to get up in the morning. Or you don't want to go to work. Or you don't want to go to school. Or you really just don't want to do anything. Maybe you want to retire in the next five years and you're only 30. It's easy to be lazy. How many motivated people do I have in the room today? You are motivated. I got one hand up for both, okay? You have ideas. You have hopes. You have dreams. You have possibilities. You got stuff that you want to do. Or you got places that you want to go. And you are motivated today. You know, all of us, with very few exceptions, can be motivated by something. I once heard about a 16-year-old boy who was a little bit on the lazy side, and mom and dad decided they're going to send him out to grandma and grandpa's for a month during the summer. Grandma and grandpa live out on the farm and think maybe they can learn a little bit about hard work out there on the farm. Grandma and grandma, grandma and grandpa really don't have very much success with 16-year-old Billy. He doesn't want to get up in the morning. They wake him up every morning at 5.30. He's up for about two minutes, promptly goes back to sleep, sleeps in till noon every day. Finally, after he's been there for about a week, um, Grandpa wakes him up early in the morning and says, Grandma and I are getting ready to go to town a little bit later this morning, and we probably won't be back till around noon. If you happen to wake up and we're not here, don't worry about us. We'll be back, and we'll have lunch. Grandpa knew he'd sleep through breakfast. So anyway... Grandma and Grandpa leave a little bit later that morning, and they go to town. But while they're gone, Billy, the 16-year-old boy, who's a tidge on the lazy side, gets up. It's kind of curious, because before he left, Grandpa had told Billy that if you happen to get up a little early, do not go out into the pasture, because... Yesterday, while you were sleeping, I got a new bull. And this bull is a little bit ornery, and he could be dangerous, so do not go out in the pasture if you happen to wake up and we're not here. 
so Billy wakes up about 10.30 in the morning, and he's curious about that bull. He thinks to himself, you know, this is some dumb old farm animal. Surely he couldn't be dangerous, and if he was, he couldn't catch me. And so I'd still like to see the bull, he thinks to himself. So he gets up, out of bed, gets dressed, walks out of the house, into the backyard, over to the pasture, opens the gate, walks into the pasture, looks around, but he doesn't see a bull. So he notices a barn about 200 feet away, and he thinks, oh, maybe the bull is in the barn. So he starts walking toward the barn. He finally gets to the barn, goes inside, the bull's not there. So he thinks, ah, I don't know what happened to the bull, but I'm going to go back to the house. So he walks back out of the barn, and he starts walking toward the house. He's about 30 feet from the barn, and he hears this snort behind him. He turns around, and there is the biggest, baddest, orneriest bull you could imagine. This bull looked like it could have been used at a professional bull riding competition. And bullet, Billy takes one look at the bull and thinks, I better get out of here. So he starts to back slowly away. But the bull starts walking toward him. Billy's heart starts pounding faster, and the bull starts walking faster toward him. He begins to go into to a slow jog, and the bull starts jogging after him, gaining ground between them, separating, getting closer and closer to Billy. And then Billy decides, I got to get out of here ASAP. And so he begins to run. He runs as fast as he could possibly run, faster than he's ever run in his entire life. Turns around, looks over his shoulder, and the bull is running as well, and he's gaining ground on Billy. Billy realizes at that point, I am never going to make it to this fence. I am going to die. But he happens to notice about from here to that wall ahead of him, a tree with a branch hanging down. It's about nine feet off the ground. And he thinks, if I could just run fast enough and I could just jump high enough, I could grab that branch on the tree and I could escape. And so Billy runs as fast as he can run. He jumps as high as he could possibly jump. But he missed the branch. The good news was he jumped so high, he caught the branch on his way down. You're not going to believe this. But yesterday I had an encounter with a bull, an ornery-looking bull. Steve, it looked like a little bit like a bull you would see at a rodeo. And I had the audacity to mess with that bull. In fact, I decided I'm going to jump on that bull and take him for a ride. It did not turn out well for me. Surprised I'm here today. But I got to be honest, 
It wasn't a real bull. It was an inflatable bull, and I was in a swimming pool, and I jumped off the diving board on top of him. It still did not end well, but it could have been worse. How many of you motivated this morning? This morning, we're going to talk about being motivated to share Jesus. Why should we be motivated to share Jesus Christ? Let me give you a few reasons this morning. One of them is because we are motivated by the fear of God. Go to verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Since then, we know what it is like to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Paul understood that God was a holy God. Say the word holy with me. Holy. God was a holy God. And we see that throughout the Bible. If you go to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, you'll see in Revelation, I think it's around chapter 4, where these four living creatures never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Day and night, they never stop saying that. Go back into the Old Testament, and you'll see a, a prophet by the name of Isaiah receiving his calling from God. And Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe is filling the temple. And Isaiah sees these seraphs, these angelic creatures flying inside the temple, and they're calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Go back further in the Old Testament, and you'll see a temple. And inside of that temple, in the very innermost part, there is a room, a cube-shaped small room, inside which is the Ark of the Covenant. And that room is called the Holy of Holies, because our God is a holy God. Go back a little further into the tabernacle, the tent that was temporary, that traveled with the Israelites before the temple. You'll see the same thing, the, the Holy of Holies, because our God is a holy God. Do you believe that? The Spirit of God is called the Love Spirit. Is that right? No, He's called the Holy Spirit. Now, our God is a God of love, thank the Lord, or we would all be in trouble, would we not? Somebody asked the great evangelist Billy Graham one time, what is God's greatest attribute? And Billy Graham thought for a moment and said, I really can't narrow it down to one. I'll use two. Holy love. Our God is completely and utterly holy, absolutely holy. And yet, He loves us. He's so much, He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sin. And we've got to share that good news. That's why we do Vacation Bible School. It's not just so we can put these cool kid decorations on a stage and give some kids... Kool-Aid and cookies and get them all hyped up on sugar and, and our adults can dress up like Bible characters because it's a whole lot of fun and we just want to babysit kids for three hours because we got nothing better to do. That's not why we do Vacation Bible School. The reason why we do Vacation Bible School is because people need 
Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ over and over and over again in a way where children can understand it on a level that they may not get in a worship service on Sunday morning. And we're constantly looking for ways to share Jesus Christ with our world. That's why we do the trunk or treat in the fall. That's why we're constantly getting outside the walls of our building to share breakfast or lunch or something with businesses and schools and shopping malls and everywhere we can possibly go to share the love of Jesus Christ. It's not simply because we're nice people, but we are nice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a really nice person. Nobody's sitting by my wife. You're a really nice person. But our goal is not just to be nice. Our goal is to impact people with the love of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Because there really is a heaven. Do you believe that? Turn to your neighbor and say, there really is a heaven. Put a smile on your face. Now tell them, and there also is a hell. But we don't say that with a smile on our face because hell is an awful place. But we believe there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and people are going somewhere when they die. And we got to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If you go back to verse 10, Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ for believers. That's the context here in chapter 5. We will give an account of our lives to God. And apparently in this context, a part of that giving an account is, did we share the good news of Jesus Christ as followers of his? If God is going to judge we who are Christians, how much more will he judge the lost? And some of those lost people are your friends. Some of them are your neighbors. And some of you may say, well, I don't really have any friends who are lost. Well, you need to get out a little more. Some of you may say, I don't have any neighbors who are lost. Well, you probably haven't met very many of them. Some of you might say, well, I don't have any family that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Every single person who walks the face of this planet needs Jesus Christ. We got to get the message out to them. Because there's somebody's mama. There's somebody's daddy. There's somebody's brother. There's somebody's sister. There's somebody's mother. There's somebody's father. There's somebody's son. There's somebody's daughter. And they need Jesus Christ. What if it was your son or your daughter that was living in another community somewhere? Would you not want somebody? to knock on their door and invite them to church? Would you not want somebody to become friends with somebody and talk to them about the love of Jesus? Would you not want somebody to reach out to your son or your daughter who doesn't know Jesus Christ and somehow, some way, whether it's a cup of coffee or a breakfast donut or whatever, and share with them the love of Jesus Christ because somehow, some way, we got to reach people? Absolutely. Listen, your neighbors are somebody's son. They're somebody's daughter. They're somebody's brother. They're somebody's sister. They're somebody's father. They're somebody's mother. And they 
need Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? We're motivated by the fear of God, and we're motivated by the love of Christ. Verse 12. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who boast about outward appearance rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. Get this, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Because he willingly came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on the cross for your sin. Verse 14 continues. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, died for the sins of the world. Do you believe that? Hebrews 2.9 says he tasted death for everyone. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. He did not wait for you to think about attempting to get your act together. He saw you there in your sin. He said, I will die for you. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son. Verse 14 continues. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Before we came to Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. After we received Christ, we are dead to our trespasses and sins. Now that doesn't mean you won't be tempted. You will be tempted. Even Jesus Christ himself was tempted. What it does mean is you don't have to give in to that temptation. You don't have to give in to that sin. You don't have to give in to discouragement. You don't have to give in to fear. You don't have to give in to worry. You don't have to give in to doubt. You don't have to give in to pornography. You don't have to give in to lust. You don't have to give in to gossip or gluttony. You don't have to give in to whatever sin is pervading and tempting you to fall into. Why? Because you are in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? First John 5, 4 says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Do you believe that? Romans 8.37 says you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ your Lord. Do you believe that? Now, Terry believes it. All right. The rest of you believe it? Amen. The Bible says we have victory over sin through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 6.6 6 says you are no longer a slave to sin. Galatians 2.20 says I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible says when I give my life to Jesus Christ, I am saying I'm dead to sin by the power of Christ and I'm alive to live for him. That's what we picture when we do baptism. Baptism is a picture of a person who says, I am dead 
to sin. What do we do when somebody dies? We bury them, right? What do we do after we bury somebody in the water? We don't hold them under, do we? We raise them up, right? The Bible says we're buried with Jesus Christ through baptism and we're raised to walk in new life. But i got to be honest with you. Sometimes you're going to blow it. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to say something that you just wish you wouldn't have said. Sometimes you're going to think something that you wish you wouldn't have thought. Sometimes you're going to do something that you wish you hadn't have done. What do you do when that happens? Just go around beating yourself up and kicking yourself and say, I'm not going back to church anymore. I'm not reading the Bible anymore. I just can't live this Christian life anymore. Is that what you do? No, what you do is this. First John 1 9 says, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The 103rd Psalm says when we give our sin to Jesus Christ, he takes it and removes it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us. Don't keep beating yourself up over your sin. Confess it to God. Turn from it and follow Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants to empower you for living moment by moment and day by day. Verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You are no longer a slave to sin. Now you belong to Christ, the one who died and was raised again. We should be motivated by the fear of God and motivated by the love of Christ. We should also be motivated by the change that Christ has brought into our lives. Go to verse 17 and see if it's a familiar verse to you. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new, say the word new with me, new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The question is this, are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation. And if you've never given your life to Christ... If you've never, by God's grace, turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then today is your day. Give your life to Christ. But if you have done that, you are a new person in Him. I remember about 25 years ago, my nephew Matthew was like two or three years old. And he was visiting Grandma and Grandpa, my mom and dad. And Matthew, my nephew, was sitting on Grandma's lap. Little two, three-year-old boy. and He's looking at Grandma's face. And there's these wrinkles in him. She was about the age I am now. Gets bad. Gets worse, I hear, as you get older. I'm not sure yet. But anyway, Matthew is looking at Grandma's face. And she, he sees those wrinkles. And he, Matthew, my nephew, says to Grandma, what are those lines in your face, Grandma? Grandma says, those lines are called wrinkles. 
I've got wrinkles because I'm old. Matthew looks back at Grandma, looks at himself, thinks about it for just a moment, and Matthew says to Grandma, says, Grandma, I'm not old. I'm new. I'm brand new. Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're a new person in Jesus Christ to live with him and for him forever and ever. Go to verse 18. Verse 18 says all of this is from whom? From God. You did not initiate this. You did not work really hard and say, okay, God, now you can accept me. No, God is the initiator. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for your sin before you even thought about it. Before you were even born, he died for you. And after you were born, he sent the Holy Spirit to convict you. And to draw you to himself so that you could believe. And even after you give your life to Jesus Christ, he is still working on you and in you and through you. Philippians 1.6 says, he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. How many people in the room today are over 70? Willing to admit it. Some of you are close. I didn't raise my hand on my behalf. Just want to say that. I want to say thank you. Thank you, senior adults, for staying faithful to Jesus Christ. He is not done with you yet. He's still got work for you to do. He's got stuff he wants to use you for his glory. He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Go to verse 18. Paul says, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Reconcile was an old word used for the exchanging of coins. The basic idea is to change or make otherwise. In Greek, the social and political spheres, the term denoted a change in relations between individuals, groups, or nations. Well, in the religious arena, it was used of relationships between gods and humans. To reconcile is to remove the enmity, the discord, the opposition, the dissension between two parties. That's what God did for us in Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love for us that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God bade him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice again, who is the initiator here? All of this is from God. He's the initiator. Not only that, verse 18 continues to tell us that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's our job as followers of Jesus Christ to be his instruments in the world sharing his love. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. This is one thing we can do right here and now that we can't do in heaven. Listen, when you get to heaven, 
you're going to be able to sing, I believe, like you've never sung before. Honey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be a really good singer. I'm going to be an amazing worshiper of God. I might even be able to dance a little bit. Right now, I dance like an old, fat, white Baptist preacher because I am one. But one of these days, I won't have any limits or inhibitions or physical challenges keeping me from worshiping God as fully as I could worship Him. There are so many things you can do in heaven that you can't do nearly as well down here. But there's one thing that you can do down here that you can't do in heaven. And that is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost person. Because there won't be any lost people in heaven. And so we've got to be about God's business of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our world. Amen? Sarah Sanborn was in the first service. She's about 19 years old and she's a college student, a member of our church. And she spent the last month up in Ohio sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Daniel and Megan Duda are getting ready to go overseas as career missionaries sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I applaud them for that. But all of you should be missionaries wherever you are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And there really is a Savior who died for the sins of the world. And he's calling people to himself. And we got to be his instruments to get out and share his love. The good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. The phrase translated counting men's sins against them has the idea of calculating the amount of debt owed. Today, you might think of it as a charge to your account. And it was a huge one. None of us could ever begin to repay the debt that we owe Jesus Christ for our sins. Let's say you owed a hundred million dollar debt to someone. How many of you think you could pay that off tomorrow? I'm looking around the room for a hand because if you could do that, I want to see you after the service, okay? We could use the money, right, Terry? None of us could do that. But there are a few people who could. Jeff Bezos could. He's the richest man in the entire world, the founder of Amazon. He has $112 billion. He can write a check just like that and pay for your $100 million debt. But nobody could pay the debt for your sin. Only Jesus Christ the perfect, sinless sacrifice for the world. And he didn't just write a check. He came. He was mocked. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross for your sin and for mine. 
And if you'll call upon his name, you can be saved. We've got neighbors out there. We've got family members. We've got friends. We've got people we haven't met yet who need Jesus Christ. And it's our business to get out there and share his love with the world. Go to verse 20. We are therefore ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that incredible? You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, I represent Jesus. Isn't that incredible? You're not just an ambassador representing a country, as great as that might be. You are an ambassador representing Jesus Christ to the world. What an amazing privilege and an incredible responsibility. What are we going to do with that? Will we share Jesus Christ with our world? Verse 20 continues. Paul says, we beg you. We plead with you, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is the initiator, but we must respond. I shared this verse with the kids in VBS on Wednesday. John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, as many as received Christ, to those he gave the right, the power, the privilege to become his children. Listen, just because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, just because he died on the cross for your sin, that does not make you right with God. You have to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Here we can see why Jesus struggled so in the garden. He didn't just take on the sin of the world in a physical way on the cross. He bore our sin. The Bible says he became sin. Our sin was laid on Jesus Christ on the cross. Can you imagine the agony the perfect sinless son of God went through for you? Why did God do this? So that we might become the righteousness of God. We owed a debt. We could not pay. Praise God, he paid a debt he did not owe so that you might spend eternity with him forever.